We'd like to welcome everybody to the Superstar Bill Dundee's podcast. Uh, if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. And um, just getting started uh, the second week here, I've got a big response. But you know, Bill, somebody in the dressing room asked me the other day, have you ever listened to a podcast? And I think that was a nice way of saying that I sucked. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, yeah, I've listened to probably more podcasts than I need to have spent the time on. And I like Ron Fuller's and Jimmy Cornette's always entertaining. Yeah, well, them two guys been around forever and they know the wrestling business. But, um, you know, uh, this kind of grew from uh, you telling stories and me asking no- nosy questions. That's why we were doing this. Thought everybody else would enjoy it. Shouldn't keep it all for myself. And um, if you're looking for a slick production, you probably didn't come to the right place. But it's going to be... Um, Truthful. Exactly. Raw and uncut. And it's going to get a little bit more raw over the next couple of weeks. And uh, just tune in if you want to hear you know, a wrestling legend. Tell some stories about all the, the wrestlers, fans, friends, the characters you've met over the years. Right. And, um, but um, we've got a, a great response. Uh, I think your Facebook is, is shut down, blowing up with all the messages in the inboxes. And uh, I'd like to thank... Um, Bart Batten, one of the Batten twins, and, and Jerry Stubbs, Mr. Olympia, they've been real helpful in, in sharing all your information and getting the word out. And uh, I know I worked with those guys back in Florida years ago, and they were always uh, above and beyond the call of duty and going out and doing radio shows and boys clubs and video open show openings and um, just getting out and, and trying to push the town. And I was actually going through some old videos, and I saw something where Jerry Stubbs came through Memphis as a mass superstar. You know, worked a little program. Yeah. How'd, you, how'd that go? Well, Stubbs was a very good worker, good wrestler, hell of a guy, and a nice guy. Now, he called himself the mass superstar, and I can understand why he put a mask on, because I was the superstar, and he certainly wasn't as cute as me. So I guess he thought, wow, there's no trying to compete with this guy. He was bigger than me. He had a nice enough body, but he didn't have a pretty face like the superstar, so he covered it up with a mask, and we had a little deal going all around the towns that we wrestled in, and I thought it got over pretty good, and I enjoyed working with him. Great. Hey, I, I came across some, some old videos of a, a guy that came through, an old uh, ex-football player, uh, Jeff Gaylord. He worked him in Memphis and in the <laughs> Texas area. Uh, ooh, um, mercy. Now, he may be still on vacation. Uh, it may be coming to an end. Um, right now yeah he kind of went to the big house for a little while but that's another story now with Gaylord what you see is what you get big rough tough redneck and and he was as strong as a, unbelievably strong and and I worked with him I enjoyed working with him I enjoyed being around him but you, you didn't need to piss him off because he, he could that that could happen in in the in the click of an eye, man. If you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, Gaylord wanted to fight you. But he he and what like I said, what you saw is what you get. Big, rough, tough redneck. But I I liked him. I enjoyed him, and I enjoyed working with him. Well, it's no secret that his vacation actually he was accused of um, robbing two banks. You mentioned that he had mentioned something about that to you. Well, yeah. You never, obviously he wasn't joking, eventually. He, we'd drive by a bank and he was say, suicide, I'd drop that bank. Gaylord, you're nuts. And, <laughs> and I mean, that would be just, I thought he was kind of ribbing, but maybe he talked himself into it, I don't know, but he was kind of ribbing me. Let's just go knock off that bank, man. No, I don't have the balls for that, Gaylord. Uh, glad he made that booking without you. Yeah. Um, and uh, getting around to it, did you have any Andre the Giant stories? Ah, this is the, the, I think, the best one. Andre liked to drink wine, as everybody knows, sometimes before the match. And we were in Evansville one night, and he was working Lawler. And he had the bottle open, and he was kind of having a swig or two on this bottle of wine. So he went to Lawler, and he said, uh, what do you want to do, boss? And Lawler said, beat you. <laughs> and he said, okay. So they figured out all the bad guys run in, get Andre down, pound the piss out, and Lawler covers him, one, two, three, and the referee holds up Lawler's hand up, technically made him the winner. But brother, did that get heat when the word got back to New York, Vince Sr. was still around, Vince Jr. was around, and 
I don't know how the hired lawyer eventually, I mean, he went to work for him, you know, two or three years after that. But Henri said it in jest, and Lawler just said, I'd like to bid you. And he said, okay, and that's how it happened. Absolutely. Hey, I ran across some pictures the other day that uh, looks like they sold pretty well for you. Uh, you and a dog. And you were telling my wife a story about raising dogs. What was it, you breeding dogs or yeah, what kind of dogs? Well, I started off with pit bulls back in the good days and then ended up with white German shepherds. Now, the pit bull gets a, a bad rep for different, I guess it's like a punk kid. If you're a punk kid, like you, you get a bad rep sometimes, you, you don't do all the things they said you did. And I had 17 of them, well, not me just me by myself but where we kept them there was 17 and I never saw one attack a human being or do nothing but other four-legged animals they'd get a little mad at them occasionally but everybody knows what they were bred for so if you bred them for just having it in your house as a pet I wouldn't recommend it but they don't like other four-legged animals and they will jump on them and kick their backside but I had no problem with mine and uh, Jamie will tell you a story how I talked. I had one called Dingo and I kept him in the house and that was my house dog. If anybody come to the door I didn't want at the door or broke into the house, Dingo was taught to run him down. So I, I would tell Jamie, go run down. We lived in Louisiana then. He wouldn't have lived on a 30 acre farm. So I said, Jamie, run down through the field there like you've stole something I'll send the dog to get you <laughs> well the first time he did it he took off running like a little he's about eight running like hell I said Dingo go get him <laughs> dog he went down there hit Jamie knocked him out over the head took a bump dog came back and just stood over him four legs just looking at him Jamie laying on the ground looking up at the dog so of course the lovely Beverly looking out the window she saw <laughs> So she come down walking through the field. I didn't know a white woman could use so many bad words, but she she called me everything but a white man. But anyway, Jamie will tell you that's how we trained the dog. Uh, Sounds sound like that's how you train Jamie. Uh, train Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good deal. Well, um, I was again on YouTube going back through some old videos, and uh, I hadn't remembered it correctly. I, I thought Tommy Rich turned heel after he won the NWA belt when he came back to Memphis. But uh, looks like y'all were prepping him. Uh, there was a match between you and him in the summer of 80 on TV. Looks like you took a, 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 a backdrop from him and caught your crotch on his head and went down. Yeah. Calhoun came over to you and looks like he checked on you. And, and, and Tommy Rich rolled you up and, and pinned you and went over and did his heel turn um, at the desk. There was a lot of chatter back and forth on YouTube that um, it was a you know, it was a, a planned move that, uh, or no, it was a, it was a, a shoot move that you really got hurt and that um, they ended the match, went home quick because you were hurt. And uh, like that is how you would set up a heel turn. I mean, it didn't make a whole lot of sense if they stopped and thought about it. But um, were y'all doing that to, to get him kind yeah, of groomed? We were switching heel nuts how we was doing. Yeah. We didn't want to just do a blatant, have him kick me in the doodads so we did it like it was an accident but he still pinned me now if he'd kicked me that would have been a different type move but we're like just testing had, the waters yeah, to see test if it the water because if it didn't work then you could bring him back yeah that it was an accident yeah, actually make it all next week could have come back to tv and say hey man i'm sorry bill that was an accident i didn't well, it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> he'll get going over. But if we'd done the kick, that would have been a blatant heat switch. And if it didn't work, he may have been dead as a heel or a baby face. So, but it worked. Now, at some point, uh, a few years back, you were hired by uh, WCW. I think it had something to do with your connection to, to making Watts all that money. How, how did that come about? He called me up one day and he says, I'm taking the book and... WCW, you want to go? He said, I need you. I said, well, can you put it that way? And they were paying ungodly money. Ted Turner had pocketfuls of it. So Watts wrote himself a contract that was unreal. Said, well, how much money we make, man? We talking money here. He said, oh, there's some other guys here making two, three, four, five, six thousand dollars a week. I said, they are? 
I said, well, get me in the ring somewhere. So it was a good deal. And now, you, were you hired specifically to just do the booking committee at that time? Or, yeah. And, uh, and go to the towns and give the finishes. Okay, so you did do a schedule, kind of agent on the road yeah, type deal. Yeah, How did it come about that you ended up doing the Sir William and going with Steve Regal? <laughs> uh, you didn't sign up for that originally, I guess. Not really. Big Dust got that. Regal was a hell of a worker. Could wrestle, could shoot wrestle, could do it all. Tough son of a gun. But he, had, he was about as colorful as a bag of doo-doo. His interviews were lacking on the, the, the things as Steve Regal. So then Dusty got the bright ideas that we need to make this boy Lord. He said, Lord Stephen Regal. Yeah. And you'll need a valet. So then Dust says, yeah, we'll get Larry Sabisco to do the talking for him. Larry Sabisco? What the hell does that redneck know about? And he was not really redneck, he was from, from New York, which is kind of worth trying to talk for an Englishman. So anyway, I said, what does he know about being a lord and all the things that you say to get him over and do this shit? Well, through the thought, you manage him, baby. Not so much thought he gave it to you do. <laughs> okay, no problem. So I tell him I'm going to get the bowler hat and the glasses and the cane and the, the, the suit that I wore, the butler's thing. And so that's how I became lord's. Stephen Regal's manager, valet, or whatever you want to call it, butler. Now, Cowboy went right into a little trouble there and didn't stay too long and uh, might have changed the, <laughs> the landscape of things. It changed my landscape, but that, that uh, watch had a contract that couldn't be broke. It was concrete. You fire me for any reason, you have to pay me. Why would they sign that? Knowing the temperament of Bill Watts. Well, glad he got it. Yeah, and then he, he went and got himself deliberately fired, so he didn't ever, and then Bischoff. Sounds like he's a, he's a great friend of yours. How, how did you? Well, I mean, technically, I got on all right with him just talking Eric Bischoff, Bill Dundee. I mean, that part was all right, but he didn't really know nothing about the wrestling business, but he had, what the hell was the guy's name? Jim Hurd, he had his head, and whatever he wanted to do, they let him do, so then they let him run the wrestling part, he became Bill Watts, and hell, he hauled the ring in for, for Ganya, that's what he was, he, he put the ring up, and they bring him down here and make him the friggin' manager, make him the boss, so I don't know how much. All right, for all you chicken breeders out there, if you're looking for new chicken coops, you call Chicken Partners at telephone 336-391-9773, and you will get a hell of a deal, and you'll get 10% off and tell them the superstar told you to call. Yeah. Well, you're listening to If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question with Superstar Bill Dundee, and this week we're going to take a look at 1977. It was a big year for, for the Memphis Territory and for you, Bill. Uh, I'm going to throw out some names. You may have worked or not worked, might have been on the card that later uh, became well-known names. Um, Jake Smith, Jr., who we all know later became Jake the Snake, uh, Sylvester Ritter, Ricky and Robert Gibson, um, Leroy Brown, Mike Stark, a couple names that were working, working the cards. You, have any memories of those guys on the way up? Yeah, I mean, Leroy Brown and I worked a little angle just because the big guy, small guy, because that was kind of my gimmick. But it's still my gimmick. I'm still only 5'7", 210 pounds. But, so everybody was always bigger than me, so I kind of did the David Goliath thing. Well, you know, in the good book, David whooped Goliath's backside. So I went to the ring with that attitude in, in you know, in, in my head. I mean, I wasn't going to let the big guy throw me around like a ping pong ball and do nothing for me, so. And it seemed to work, but I got along good with most of the people, so they didn't mind selling Little Willie. All right. Um, what about Sylvester Ritter? Who later was a junkyard dog. <laughs> JYD. Sylvester Ritter. 
got over like the son of a bitch in New Orleans. Bill Watts had him over on fire. Then he, he kind of, like it happens to everybody, I mean, he's there every week and he just kind of cooled off and Bill wanted to... Uh, well, he brought me in to be the to be the booker, and we had Ricky and Robert and a few, but we'll get into that down the road. But when we talked about Louisiana, but JYD had run his course and needed a, a vacation out of there, so Watts brought me in as the booker, and I gave him the vacation. And Watts said, "You're letting him go, because that was his star for ten years before we got there." I said, "Well, we can't get nobody else over with a dead dog in the yard. That's just how it is. I mean, that, and that's how the wrestling business works." If the guy that you're pushing is not still over, nobody else will get over him, so you have to get rid of him. And that's what we did with JY, brought him back, and the rest is history. We'll go into that when we get talking about Louisiana. But he was, to me, fair at best. Good deal. All right, well, uh, also uh, the Hollywood Blondes, Buddy Roberts and Jerry Brown. <laughs> um, later part of the Freebirds. And yeah, yeah, that that was when it got, whoo, mercy. But anyway, they could all work. They were all real good workers. The, you know, the, the worst one you could say was Michael, and Michael could work. He's a little stiff, but hey, he's good talk and work, so they could all work. And um, looks like first the first half of 77, you and Tommy Rich were swapping the Southern Tag Team belts back and forth with Phil Hickerson and Dennis Condry. Yeah, they put Tommy in the guest to go with me. He was just a young kid starting. This was his first territory, his first job type thing. He was straight out of high school. So they put him with, I guess, the young kid with the older guy. 32 I was back then, so Tommy was 18. So I guess I was a little older than him. But still, that that was why he did it. So, I mean, I was over, and that was what they were hoping to rub on Tommy. And, and it worked, got him over. And we had some good matches with Phil and Dennis. And... Do some good houses. Um, looks like the uh, the second half of the year, too many for me to list, but uh, you and uh, Jerry the King Lawler were in cages and hair and cars and money and swapping the Southern title back and forth and um, even led down to uh, your wife getting involved in some hair matches. Um, how'd, yeah. you, how'd you pull that one off? Oh, that, that is a funny story. The, we was like you said, we had done it all. Once you get down to hair and somebody loses their hair, they're bald-headed, and the other guy has a head full of hair. So, I mean, it, that's a kind of end of the line. That's a blow-off. So they had shaved my head. There was really nothing left, and I would ask Lola for a title match, and he would say, you got nothing I want. And then I said, well, okay. I said, you shaved my head, you got the belt back, you got your car back, you got your money back, and I understand you got nothing, but I know you, and your ego is way out there, so how about if I talk to Miss Dundee and get her hair on the line? These eyes lit up like, woo, your wife's hair on the line in a match for me and you? I said, well, I don't know, but I'd have to go home and talk to her. So I did that, and she said, yeah, and they got the pennies and the dollars and cents in order so it took place and you know what the outcome was so that that was how Beverly got involved money money well uh interesting to note after the the long hot summer of 77 and um big house big big, big crowds um after that it kind of dropped off for a couple of weeks and it wasn't a month later after your wife, you lost your wife's hair, that you and Lawler were put back together in a tag team and houses shot right back up against Handsome Jimmy and Johnny Valiant. Um, the, 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 what, how can I say this? The people just like to see me and Jerry Lawler in the ring at the same time, whether we was on the same side, we was wrestling one another, or whatever it was, the, the people bought a ticket to see me in law because they knew that we wasn't in love with one another and we didn't particularly care for one another and anything could happen. So they would buy a ticket most of the time to come and see what's going to happen with me and Lawler in the same ring at the same time. Well, um, you have any other specific memories of, of 77 and that, that long, hot summer? No, I drank a lot of beer, so I'm sure that was uh, why some of the memories went away, but... No, it was good. I mean, that means I'd been here two years. I got here in 75, so that was 77. They'd switched me babyface, was on fire, and then 
Lawler, he was healed, baby facing on fire. So when they put this together, it clicked. Well, we'll finish up on that at the end of 1977, and we'll take a little break. All right, Jackson Wrestling fans, on July the 7th, Bill Superstar Dundee is going to be at the Omen Arena, and I love coming to the Omen Arena. I've been coming there for years. And there's a big old boy walking around, Matt Riviera, saying this may be Bill Dundee's last match. Well, Mr. Riviera, I got news for you. Real man has tried to put me out of this business and never happened. So I'll see all you wrestling fans July the 7th in the Omen Arena. Hey, Bill, um, a lot of people say that uh, along with the, the times and the country that uh, with the racism that wrestling was uh, uh, a spot that there was a clearly racism and who got spots and who got to work and got the opportunity and uh, you told me it was actually from a, a business standpoint. It wasn't a, from a, a racism standpoint. Well, I don't think it was from a racism, a personal racist thing. But I mean, the black guys were just starting to get over as as you know. And I hate to say it this way, but we only used to bring one in: Rocky Johnson, Norvell Austin, Snowman. All them guys were in here, but just one at a time. So. That made, I guess, the word you could say, the monopoly. I mean, one black guy and nine white guys, he's different on the card. You know, I mean, the, and that's all you can say to do with being racist. It's just how it worked. And that's how it had been since 1955. There wasn't too many black people and black guys in the, in the wrestling business to start with. Bill Watts liked them, so he would use a few more black guys in Louisiana because New Orleans, black, Mexican, whatever, you know what I mean? So he figured out, and in Memphis they wouldn't buy a ticket to see 10 black guys. They just wouldn't. But if you had one in here and he got over, like Rocky Johnson got over like the son of a gun, they bought a ticket to see Rocky every Monday. Snowman. He was his own worst enemy, but I mean, there's a lot of guys today the same way. Hey, while, while we're talking about the snowman, can you throw your two cents in on uh, whatever happened with the, the story is that he, he pawned the belt or he sold it to a drug dealer or he disappeared with the belt one way or the other after he, he beat Lawler. I just, and again, nobody really knows. I mean, if you ask snowman, he says he didn't do nothing with the belt. He just wasn't coming back to get, drop it to Lawler. But I don't, he still has it. Or he had it two or three years ago because I've seen it. Or, or when he was running around the indie circuit, he had the belt. So he couldn't have pawned it. Well, uh, after winning it, what, how, how did he keep it? I don't know. I never won it too often. No, it, uh, yeah, it's yours for the time that you're in the territory and you're the champion. Right. You you cut it with you. You look after it. You polish it or do whatever it is you want to do with it. But it's your belt. And then I guess the program was coming to an end, and Lawler wanted the belt back. When you want the belt back in the wrestling business, you have to beat the guy. So Snowman didn't want to put Lawler over. I imagine. See, I never knew much about that either. I mean, not with Lawler and Snowman's deal. So, I know Snowman left and took the belt. And it, I don't know, I have no idea how to give it to a drug dealer come into the thing. I, I have no earthly idea what that was about. That was nothing to do with me, and I never got involved in it. Now, a few years later, when when you were booking Watts' Mid-South Territory, you, you brought Snowman in and did a little business? Or? <laughs> yeah, we did good business that? with him. He didn't run off with any belts from there? So no, 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 he didn't. I don't think you put one on him, though. <laughs> we didn't put a belt on him, but, I mean, he, he did get over. I mean, he, he had a hell of a body. He wasn't the best worker in the world. But you know, I saw him in the last six months, and he's still big, big guns on him. Yeah, I mean, he had big arms. So I mean, and but he got over in Louisiana, but again, one black guy. And and I don't know why it works like that. There's four or five black guys on the card. Who people they don't. Ten thousand black people don't show up to see four black guys. If you have the right one black guy, the same four or five thousand will show up. You know what I mean? So right. it doesn't do nothing to the house having four or five on the show. Now, uh, uh, Kamala is somebody that uh, uh, I know he's been in bad health Shuba the last Bay couple of years. Harris. Yes, sir. 
Um, he's done shoot interviews and a book and DVD or whatever and uh, something to the effect. And most of it was, was geared toward Vince McMahon, but that he, uh, because he was black and country from Mississippi, that he was treated um, quite short on the pay part of it compared to the other guys in, in, in the main events that he, he was right along in there with. Um, but I, I know he did big business here in Memphis, and he did big business with him in Watts' territory. Right. Um, and I never, but I didn't really know what if anybody was taking money off him or whatever the payoff was. I mean, nobody talked about their payoff. If I got $1,000 for New Orleans, I wasn't telling my opponent or anybody else what I got. Yeah, your and, business was yours. Yeah, and nobody else did either. So all that come out after Kamala kind of retired or lost the leg, the diabetes and all of the bad things that happened to Kamala. But when he was Kamala, he never said what you got paid or look, you know what I mean? But I don't think, well, I don't really know. I'm just a little white guy and I'm glad I'm a little white guy. The girls like me and everybody else like me and some of the black girls like me. So I was, it didn't hurt me being a little white guy. So I don't know what it is to be a six foot white guy, never mind a six foot black guy in the wrestling business. But the ones I saw in the right positions, Rocky Johnson, over like the son of a bitch. The Rock, he's the hottest movie star in the world, never mind a wrestling star. So. Your head or, or your, your how, how you treat, if, if you buy a brand new car and you run a hundred miles an hour every day and then you end up hitting a telephone pole with it, that's the end of the car. Your body's the same way. Your wrestling career was the same way. If you run it at a hundred miles an hour and doing stupid stuff, you'll burn out. Well, unfortunately, I'm not just, there was a lot of white guys did drugs and alcohol and things that, the snowman did and, and, and you know but if there's just one or two of you it seems to stand out more you know I did silly shit too I'm not saying I was an angel I wasn't I did stupid stuff too but I was a little white guy and the girls liked me so that <laughs> but you know what I mean so I, I don't know what it is to be six foot tall of anything pink black green blue I'm five foot seven white guy and it worked for me so would I like to have been six foot six and 300 pounds? I have no earthly idea because I've seen a lot of them and then never nothing happened to them in the wrestling business. Well, i tell you what, in the, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll just take a, a drive down 55 South and uh, check in on Kamala and get his side of the story. Yes, we will. Old Sugar Bear. I like Sugar Bear. I got along good with him in Louisiana and when we was in here. So, yeah, we'll find him. Go down and see him. Yeah, look forward to it in the next couple of weeks. All right, all you for wrestling fans, on July the 6th at AutoZone Park, there's going to be a wrestling show. Jerry the King Lauder, Bill Superstar Dundee, Derek King, and Miss Maria and Dustin Starr will be there. So we'll see you all July the 6th down at AutoZone Park. Bill, got a couple questions for you. Um, everybody knows all the stories and watched all the Memphis TV, but if a lot of fans don't realize that you were the, the booking genius and were running the show behind the scenes and appearing here and there, but uh, in Bill Watts' Mid-South Territory for several years and did tremendous business. How did that come to, to pass? Well, Bill Watts came up here and told Jerry Jarrett, he said, my territory's on its backside and I need a little help. So he said, let's switch a little talent. So Jarrett being the nice guy that he is and, and how business was back then, that's what you did. Territory was down, losing, you, you tried to help him. So Jarrett said, well, okay, walk around the dressing room and uh, see who you want, you know, who you would get and who you would. Now remember, Bill Watts is a giant and he had giants. Butch Reed, Hacksaw Duggan, JYD. I mean, six foot two and 260 pounds to Bill Watts is kind of normal. And he's walking around Memphis dressing room and seeing Ricky Morton, Terry Taylor, Robert Gibson, Bill Dundee, Ricky Gibson. Who else did we have a little bitty? I mean, to them, little bitty fellas. So he talked to Ricky and Robert. 
Rock and Roll Express. He'd heard you know the how the Rock and Roll Express was over, so he'd talk to them, and they were kind of sighing, going. So before he left the dressing room, Jerry Jarrett said to him, he said, "What?" He said, "What you need is a book." He said, "You need to go talk to that little bitty fellow over there, as you call him, and see if he'd want to come with this crew." So Watts come over and spoke to me, and he said, "You'd like to make a move to Louisiana, be the booker, and da 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 da." And I said, "Well, hell, I don't know what the hell am I going to do in Louisiana." So then his next thing is, he said, "Bill, you won't have a week below three thousand dollars every week, a check for three thousand dollars, four threes or twelve, twelve thousand dollars a month." He said, "That'd be your minimum." A lot of money. Ooh, back then, a lot of money today. Still a lot of money today. I'd go to China for that <laughs> guarantee today. So I said, "Well, yeah, okay, that'd be great." So I go home and tell Miss Dundee. I said, "We're moving to Louisiana." She said, "Moving to Louisiana." She said, "Oh, I don't know about that." Oh, tomorrow I better think. So he, t- he tells Watts, he said, go talk to that little fellow over there, Bill Dundee, and see if he wants to go down there and help. He said, you look to me like booking problems is as much as your problem as anything. He said, go talk to him and see if he wants to be your booker. So he comes over to me, he said, I just talked to Jerry Jarrett, and he said, you may be interested in coming to Louisiana as the booker. I said, ah, Louisiana? I- you know, just humming and hawing. He said, well, he said, I can kind of guarantee you this. You won't have a week below $3,000. Every week, $3,000. Four threes is 12. That's 12 grand a month. Oh, mercy. When do I start? So I said, well, let me go home and talk to Miss Dundee. So I go home and talk to Miss Dundee. I said, Beverly, we go move to Louisiana. I said, well, you don't have to move to Louisiana, but I have to move to Louisiana because I'm taking a job down there as the booker. And she says, no, if you go, I'm going. So I said, well, okay. So I didn't tell her how much money we was going to make, none of them things. So I just, because, you know what I mean? You, you want them to know that they're coming because they love you type thing. So anyway, she she came and she was a trooper and we all liked it. And the rest is history, as they say. Bill Watts will tell anybody that the two, three years that Bill Dundee booked it and the Memphis crew was the best three years he ever had in the wrestling business. So... Well, uh, you know, I, I I grew up in Greenville, Mississippi, coming out every Thursday night. How do you get hired by Bill Watts, and the first thing you come in and do is say, um, I want JYD, the biggest, his biggest draw, the Lose Leave Town match, and I want to turn Mr. Russell too, long-time babyface, lifelong babyface, into a heel. What does he say? You lost your mind, I made a mistake, well, send this guy back to Memphis? He said, it's obviously you know what you're doing because, you, you know, you, you did all that. And I said, well, Bill, look at it this way. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA is, you can't do it with nobody but Magnum TA. 2 is a kind of jealous of TA because he's younger, stronger, and bigger and starting in the wrestling business. So if we play that up, there's a reason for it happening. And then the other thing, JYD, we wouldn't be talking, and Ricky and Robert and my crew wouldn't be coming if JYD was still on fire. He needs a rest out of here. He said, well, I never learned. I said, well, that's how I see it. So he said, well, you're the booker. I hired you. Give it a shot. So we gave it a shot. Took off. The rest is history, as they say. And Ricky and Robert got over like a son of a gun. Cornette and the Midnight Express got over, and the rest of us were there for... Back them up, Terry Taylor, Bill Dundee, Dutchman Tail, and a hell of an underneath crew. Now, I, I don't see this happening today, certainly, but here you've got JYD and Two and the North American Belt, but yet Two's connected to TA. You tie that into working the Midnight Express and putting the tag belts on them, setting up Robbie and, uh, Rock and Roll Express, and it just all seemed to flow. You, you didn't know, as a fan, we were just sitting on the edge of our seats thinking what, what twist and turn it's going to take next, but, you know, that's some, that's some beautiful storytelling. Right, and that's what it was, but, but nobody knew it was. They never called it that back then. I mean, the guy writes the whole movie before they start filming it, so the guy writing it knows what's happening on every scene. 
So that was a kind of the same thing with me. I mean, Watts think, well, them two little bitty guys is coming in here. He's going to do this with them. He's going to beat JYD in a loser leave town. And he's going to switch to with Magnum TA. I mean, for a guy that doesn't think that way, that had to be big jumps. I Absolutely. Mean, but he, he said, I told you, you'd be the booker. We'll go with it. We it went with it. Worked out at the ticket office, didn't it? Ooh, mercy. But I knew it would work because I had seen it all work before. Good deal. All right, we're going to take a break. Bill, you know, we, we, we talk about this angle and hair versus hair and cars and titles and you and Jerry King Lawler, friends and, and enemies back and forth. Um, I mean, you guys had a, a, a certain magic or chemistry, but you put a lot of effort in, in working those stories and uh, building the momentum. And we were talking about Mid-South with JYD and TA and Turning 2. And um, I kind of ran those out off, uh, you know, from a fan's perspective that, um, like, it's easy. Um, I, I can't, from your perspective, I'm sure it, it took a lot of work. We didn't realize as we were watching these things at home um, that you had, had, had slowly brought us along. Oh yeah, I mean that—that's what you—you you may write your TV ten times before you actually get the the script wrote. And I hate that word, but before you get your TV wrote, that the one that you actually do on TV Saturday morning, and you may change it ten times, but you still in your head know where you're going. If we were trying to get Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee to wrestle the Valiant Brothers a month from now, we would start it this Saturday and then go the next Saturday and the next Saturday then do the deal for the, that Saturday for the Monday night before that. So th there's a lot of thought. I don't know how they do it today. I, I don't know how what may watch this, how Vince does it or, or them indie guys do it. They, if you've never been anywhere and seen anything done, how can you, you kind of do anything? When I went to, to Bill Watts' territory, he said, you've got free hand, do whatever you want to do. Well, I knew what worked in Tennessee, and people in Louisiana only 400 miles apart, so they can't be that different in how they think. There's white rednecks down there, there's brothers down there, there's Mexicans down there, just like there was in Tennessee. So I didn't think it would be that hard to get them thinking the same way, but you have to have a good guy and you have to have a bad guy. And there was no better good guy than Ricky Morton. He was little, cute, and when you beat him up, the girls cried. And that's what it was all about. And the big bad Ted DiBiase pounding on him for 10 minutes, they thought they were gonna kill him. And that, that was what we were trying to do back in the good old days. I mean, John Wayne did only kicked your ass at the end of the movie, not the beginning. You, you fooled him, you know, you, jumped on him for the, the most of the movie, then at the end he made the big comeback, just like wrestling. And, and I think that's what's missing. And, you know, when we're out at live events, and, and I know they don't have TV, but a lot of guys, uh, you, you, you're watching from the dressing room, and, and I see you kind of wince and saying, what the hell did he do that for, or whatever, and there's a ref bump, or there's somebody grabbed the mic, or somebody loses, or some, you know, some goofiness goes on. And in principle, I guess the angle may have worked, but your your reasoning is always, I hear you say, why? Why would he do that? Why? You know, there had to be something right. that made sense or it meant something for it to mean something. Make it real. Um, so, uh, but today, you know, the, the, the guy running it doesn't really know. You know, they haven't been anywhere. They haven't seen anything. So if you go to South Haven or you go to some little town every Friday night or Saturday night, and that's the only place you wrestle, that's the only thing you see in your head whoever comes into that building that night but when you've been all over the world I started off in Australia with Jim Barnett with guys like Mark Lewins, Cole Murphy, Brute Bernard they were the big stars back in that day yeah I was a job guy watching them but I watched them and paid attention and saw how I'm thinking there's 10,000 people coming to Melbourne Festival Hall on a, on a Saturday night just like the good old days for Memphis 
Why are they coming? Who are they coming to see? They're certainly not buying a ticket to see me. Little Willie back then was just doing jobs for whoever, but I was happy to do them. But I paid attention to Mark Loon in the dressing room when he was the booker. Then when Bobby Shane came over, I paid attention to Bobby Shane, how he talked to the boys, what he said, what he didn't say, and how he, he got his thoughts into everybody else's head. So when we got the TV or whatever you're at, you can transfer that to the fans so they see it and come Monday night, or which used to be Saturday night in Melbourne, Australia. So it, it was no different there than it was here, but somebody had to teach me in Barnes or give us the, you know what I mean? So when you get to, to Memphis, it's not no different. Good now, guy, it, bad guy. In 75, you didn't buy a pair of boots on, well, the internet wasn't around, but you didn't buy a pair of boots and show up in Memphis and was a star. I understand you'd put a dozen years into right to to working your way around. around and had grass kicked now, and all you, other things. You told me about uh, when you first started out, three times a week you were going, or three times a night, you were jumping in the car and going from from club to club. club. The little club, yeah, that so, was in Sydney. That was Hal Morgan's club wrestling they called it. And there was like the league's clubs, the VFW clubs, all like, and they were mainly men. Because that's the kind of clubs they were, the RSL or however they call them here, and and would, you would go do three a night, and you would get like maybe fifteen dollars a show. But when you did three of them, you ended up with forty-five, fifty dollars. That was a lot of money. This was in the sixties. So, and and when you got to each club, it was a different guy you wrestled. So you was learning, and and it was like. They don't have that here, and I, mean, I, I don't quite know how to explain it. There's nothing like it here. And to be fair to the guys today, there, there's not a, a, a training ground or an opportunity to do that kind of no I mean, to, to get three matches a, a, a night. Right. Uh, I mean, you, you won't. Some guys don't get three a month. Right. You know, or, or three you'll, months. You know. You'll go there an indie show, and the guys say, "I've been around 15 years. How many matches have you had? One a week." Yeah. One a week for 15 years ain't a whole hell of a lot of matches. So we was working three night times a night. And on the, yeah, me and Barnes, when we came here, we was ready to come here. I mean, we had... Long overdue. Yeah. Bobby Shane saw that and he said, you guys need to go to America and you'll get over good in Memphis. And he was right. So our background and our time in the ring was in. Well, uh, I don't know if... the. Many people know this about you. You're a very meticulous record keeper, and I understand that you've got stacks and stacks of, of books with uh, matches and days and uh, <laughs> how much you paid in tolls that day. And uh, you you were pretty oh, yeah. pretty. So what I'm getting around to is I, I I've peeked into your uh, TV format books, and uh, that's what we're going to be doing on, on the upcoming podcast. We're going to take. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, Watts' Mid-South, and we're going to go through the, your formatted TV shows and kind of hit the high spots and see what your thinking is, uh, where you were going and where you were leading us right. uh, from there. So that, that's and, and the other reason I kept a lot of meticulous things, you had to pay Uncle Sam. So if you paid a toll to get to Lexington, Kentucky, you wanted to get it off your taxes. So I kept up with stuff for that, you know what I mean, on that too. But most of the stuff I kept was to do with the actual wrestling. Well, I, this is the fan in me. I, I've got to share this. Uh, you can flip to uh, February 4th, uh, 1983, and uh, this man can share with you how much he spent for the hotel uh, food, uh, what the crowd was, uh, what he paid out, or got paid. Um, it, it's it's a... Wrestling fans uh, lost the treasure of the matches that were going on, uh, what he did with the TV, uh, how many miles he drove that day. I mean, uh, some people get on uh, the Internet and podcast and spit out figures, and some are real high, some are real low. Some, I don't know if they just made it up or heard somebody else talk about it, but um, uh, you're the real deal with what yeah, I've seen. Well, I, I was there. I mean, I can tell you I was in the John Wayne movie, and if I tell you I was with John Wayne, I was with him, but just like the wrestling business, it's the same thing. I was with Handsome Jimmy, I was with Jimmy Valiant, Johnny Valiant, the Fargo's, all, I mean, I was there, and I was younger then, and you know, now I'm the older guy in the, in the dressing room, 
and the young kids look at you like, ah, that old son of a bitch. Yeah, well, this old son of a bitch has been around and do have to do some money and spent more and, how can you say, gas up and down the roads and most of you kid, other kids, and I'm not knocking them, it's just like there's no TV and there's no place to go work. I mean, going to work on, in a little indie show once a week, what do you learn? Yeah. Well, I, I, you're kind of a, 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 a private fellow when it comes to personal things, and I don't want to step any toes, but uh, I have kind of pried loose. I'll let everybody know that uh, uh, I've kind of, kind of pried loose of you, and you, you're getting out the old records. Uh, actual check stubs from your days in wrestling, and um, it's there in black and white. Yeah. What kind of money you were making? So we'll we'll get a peek in in an upcoming uh, podcast of uh, what kind of money was really really going for the top stars and uh, for the legends of the day. But I will tell you this, and I would bet my life on it, or every dollar I got in the bank against anybody else's on the thing. I'll be the only wrestler in Memphis that has them records. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody inside or outside of wrestling has got. The kind of records you've got for the the years that go back, and uh, uh, you got to understand from from a fan's point of view, uh, it's gold. I mean, it's just a, a peek inside that we, we never right. got, and um, looking forward to, to digging deeper in there. But uh, we'll finish up on that and, and give you some some teases on what to come to look for in upcoming episodes. All right, if you're all out there and you're looking for a new roof, why don't you give Baker Roofing a call at 901-574-7775. And if you call that number, tell them the superstar told you to call, you'll get 10% off your new roof. All right, for all you backyard chicken farmers, if you're looking for chicken coops, you call Chicken Partners at telephone 336 391 9773 and you'll get 10% off if you tell them the superstar told you to call. Now, Eric Bischoff uh, swapping around money or something opened up some money for some other people and took a shot at, I think, uh, you and Mike Graham, Greg Gunn, how'd that work out? Well, it never worked out too good for the three of us, but Big Dust was still the booker when Watts got himself fired and billed it intentionally. He called a, a girl, worked in the office, a big fat bitch, and you can't do that and work for Ted Turner, but he did it to be fired because they had to pay him 300 grand for that year. The contract was wrote, and Ted Turner, you know, he, he kept up to his end of the deal, apparently, so Watts knew what he was doing. That's a lot of money to go back and sit in Bixby, Oklahoma. Right. So he's gone to Bigsby, Oklahoma, and then we get the infamous, what the hell is his name? Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff. So they give him the Bill Watts spot to run the company. Well, Big Dust was still there, so I'm sure Dust was kind of in the spot to help him, so he calls me into the office one day and he said, Bill Dundee, your we had 12-week contracts. And when the, every 12 weeks they could renew them, and if they didn't want to renew them, you was done. So he says, when do you talk about your contract? So the minute you said that, I said, well, mine ain't like Bill Watts. I don't have a year of 300 grand. I said, well, okay, what do you want to talk about? He said, well, it's up in five weeks or whatever. He said, we'll probably have to let you go at the end of that five weeks. I said, well, you're the boss, so-called. So anyway, and I was being facetious here, or I thought I was. I should have punched the fucker in the face, but I didn't. So I said, well, it's been a pleasure working for you, and I stuck my hand out trying to be sarcastic. <laughs> and he sticks his hand out, and he says, Bill, I may be shooting myself in the foot doing this, letting you go. I said, well, don't let me go. <laughs> but anyway, that, so then I was first, Mike Graham was second, and Greg Gagne was third on the Bischoff list to get rid of the three of us. So the three guys compared. That's a huge brain, brain tank to get rid of right, right. there. Those are the three yeah, guys. Yeah, we were doing the 
whatever, and big dust. Yeah. The big dust, everybody liked dust from Ted Turner on down. I don't think Jesus himself could have got rid of big dust. He was, that's how old he was with, with the office staff. So anyway, the three of us are gone. Bischoff takes over. And I haven't really been back or talked to anybody since. Haven't even seen Eric Bischoff nowhere. Saw a picture of him. <coughs> he's like the rest of us. He's starting to look older. And got his hair gray and all them other things. But I can tell him how you can keep it black. But maybe he don't want <laughs> to keep it black. But anyway. You got a few secrets? Yeah. Got a couple of secrets. So anyway, that was the end of the era there. And I don't really know what happened when it went downhill. I mean, Bischoff's running it. Big Dust is just getting paid probably two grand a week, 2,500 a week to tell our Bischoff yes. And Dusty was good at that. He looked after his job too, so you can't blame him. Bill, over the years, uh, you seem to be the, the top picture seller in the Memphis territory. No. I, no? I, You've sold a few. <laughs> You've sold a few. Yeah, we, we did good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a picture with an interesting story I saw in your office. Uh, it is a picture of you and you only with a frilly pink heart pillow yeah. strategically placed over your groin area. Yes, and, uh, strategically placed, big pillow. <laughs> and uh, you had an interesting story about that one. Yeah. How, how you stopped selling it. Well, it was in Mempho, and this young lady, I guess, bought one, took it home, and she t turned out to be the granddaughter of the mayor at the time of that year. So he came up to the next week to the Coliseum and said, you can't sell pornographic pictures. Pornographic, you mayor, no mayor, but so anyway, I had to take it off the table for a little while. But we eventually snuck it back. But Memphis was the only place that ever bitched about the picture. Mm. All right, and then I guess we, we might get those out on Facebook and put them for sale again. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we'll put them up for sale again. Well, Superstar, we're going to finish up with there and uh, appreciate everybody coming over and listening. And uh, look every Monday for the new one. And we've got a lot of interesting topics. Going to get into Watt Smith's Out TV, a honky tonk man, and maybe some flair next time. So. Y'all tune in. Thanks a lot. The nature.